It's Rusty Diamond, motherfucker. Yo, man. Boomus Rusty, what is up, everyone? It is Wednesday, August 9th, 2023. Here at 10 o'clock in the morning on the East Coast. Welcome to the podcast, the public access podcast here on the Quantum Global Broadcasting Network, QGBN. And check out other great shows on the network, such as When the Gloves Come Off, the Thinking Man's Pro Wrestling Podcast. This is it with Lizzie and Say by the Band. I think I said I'm Rusty Diamond. If not, there it is again. So, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Fred Ben Savage as Fuck, Stoner Eats Productions, Hardcore and Entertainment, Hypnosis is Great, and Sockemup.org. Which, you guys, socks, people need socks. People need socks. You know? I got a place. I know a place you can go and donate socks or donate money to buy socks. Sockemup.org, S-O-C-K-E-M-U-P.org. Let's go there. Tell them Rusty sent you. But today, actually, you guys, let me tell you this. So this is going to be a shorter week this week. No show Friday. So two shows short this week, but that's okay. There's still like two on Monday, one on Wednesday. One today, one tomorrow. Still five shows. It's still a lot. So, you guys, here's the number, show number four, then for the week. So, let's bring on a special guest right here, right now. We have Misty W. Gilbert. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Rusty? Good. Uh, the W, uh, you're in Texas, right? Is that? Is, is that right? Is that I am right in Texas. Yes, you're correct. So, does it have to change to W, or is that just uh... <laughs> no? It's it's simply a branding thing. Um, because when I initially created my social media platform, um, I wanted my handle the same on all platforms, and Misty Gilbert was taken on one of them, and so in order to make them all match, I added the W. So it's just a branding. Um, it also is a little bit of a significance in the fact that it's a unique middle name um it's a combination of my grandma and my mother's name so my grandma's name is Jeanette my mom's name is Wanda and they created a unique name called Wanette <laughs> I was gonna say I hope it's Wanette <laughs> yeah it's Wanette so W-A-N-E-T-T-E is my middle initial so yeah that's that's what started the W <laughs> okay I, I would have almost gone with I really like the name Wynette. I hope you can make that go somewhere that uh, Wynette can, or, you know, let more people know that uh, Wynette is there. Um, that's a cool, cool name. I like that story there. That's yeah, pretty... when most people hear the name, they think it like, you know, W, I'm sorry, J-U-A-N, you know, like Wynette with with like a Juan, um, right. not as a W and, and off of Wanda. So and when I share this story, you know, people are like, well, that's kind of cool to, you know, come up with something like that. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, okay. And 
So, I mean, how long did it take you to embrace, um, embrace that name? Like the, what was it something like when you tell people as a kid, was it like, this is kind of different. It's not, uh, Marie or Anne or, you know, something like that. Did it? Yeah, you get a lot of incredulous looks, you know, especially as a kid, right? Like, want it? Like, who's that? And so then when you explain that, you know, it's your mother and your grandmother's name put together, though, it, it's interesting to see people's response. Um, obviously, initially, they're kind of like, oh, okay. And then once they hear you explain it and, you know, spell it out, like my grandma's name, uh, Jeanette, was J-E-A-N-E-T-T-E. And so they took the end of my grandma and the beginning of my mom's and put it together. Um, and so when you explain it to people, it makes sense. But yeah, Juana, I've never heard of that. How do you spell that? You know, like there's a lot of intrigue. And of yeah. course, as, as kids, you know, um, people are looking for identity to connect and be, you know, in, in a club, a tribe. And so when it's different, initially, it's kind of like, well, who are you? You know, a little bit standoffish. Sure. Uh, <clears throat> I... I don't know that it really bothered me. It's just sometimes it got old explaining what what the name was and how it came about. But um, I think it's partly like other things in life. We grow into our own identity and accept who we are and um, embrace that we're different and have something unique about ourselves and own it and stand out, right? Claiming that power within. Right. Uh, I had a guy who was one of my best friends growing up and he would not tell me what his middle name was and he for years and this was this went on until 12th grade and then he said you're going to find out I guess when we graduate high school because when you graduate high school for some reason they read your middle name on there and so then that's when uh, I got to find out what his middle name was and I don't know. It wasn't it wasn't a big deal, but I I don't know. It was for sure a unique la or middle name, but it wasn't anything that was like I don't know. School well, I was think, weird. <laughs> I think there's a lot that goes into it, you know, especially like for my parents. I was first born, so they put a lot of emphasis in naming their firstborn child, and so some of that can create rivalry between you and siblings, right? So there's that, and then in in like my story, when I was raped at 17. Um, my parents had a lot of difficulty with that because they thought I was messing around with a man who was 28 years older than me. And because of religious beliefs, any sexual misconduct is an issue. And so they renamed my first name um, for a while. They didn't call me Misty. They called me Ethel. My mom hated the name Ethel. And because of everything that happened, she was trying to disassociate with the perfect firstborn child that she created. So when you talk about names, names are very important to each one of us. They are how we are known in the world. And when we like, if I call, if I could say hi to you, that's one thing. But when I say hi, Rusty, it's more personal. And so I think that's where we struggle with our name isn't our identity, yet it is our identity. And so how do you embrace that and accept it? And when it's different, um, from what people are used to, we're, we tend to shy away from that because culturally you've been taught, you know, get along, follow the rules, look like everybody else, do what everybody else does. And so when you don't fit that box, you're kind of like, well, then who am I? Right. And I mean, yeah, it's, uh, especially now, like so many people, I like, think even like 
this is my professional name. And uh, I was given this name, but I, I mean, it's my professional name. So I guess it's even kind of weird, but then it's kind of weird when I get called my other name. Um, but it's, it depends where I am, you know, that kind of thing. And um, I don't know, a lot of people are changing their names now. And it's it's weird because uh, I, 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 it's it's hard, like when, like I had this conversation because in like wrestling, you know, people have different names and change their, their gimmicks sometimes and have new things. And so it was always kind of, I had this conversation with my friend Crystal and it was, we kind of know everybody by the, the first name that we got introduced to them as like, like she's always going to call me Rusty because that's what she knew me as. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, now it's, it's a little different. Um, you know, everyone, not everyone, uh, there's a lot more people who, who want to be called a certain thing. And, but I mean, what, what can you do? So I think, I think some of that goes to it. Like for me and my siblings, I'm Misty. My sister, two years younger is Mindy. My brother, five years younger is Terry. But as a child, he was called Buddy. Um, but he got to a point in his teenage years, he felt that was like immature and it wasn't uh, a real name, like, you know, Hey buddy. And so he wanted to be called by his real name. So I think there's a lot of those kinds of things that culturally we put a meaning on something that may or may not really be true, you know? And so that plays into too, as you're saying, this is my professional name versus another name somebody else knew me by. Right. And right. I think we have this legal name and then who do you want to be known as? Um, there's people who call me Melissa. My real name is not Melissa. It's Misty, M-I-S-T-Y. There's, you know, but people turn Melinda into Mindy, Melissa into Misty. And so things just automatically get assumed. And I think that plays into a lot of stuff too. And so people get, they get irate, you know, um, I don't like being called Missy, for instance, in my SSY. My name is Misty. Mm -hmm. It has a T, right? Missy That's to me is a whole different other name and I'm not Missy. <laughs> that probably I, happened quite a bit yeah uh, and I think some of that is again to the meaning people put around hey missy come here missy you know like a little demeaning and dismissive so I right. think when we talk about names maybe one parent liked you like your friend liked the full name that he was given and maybe his his mom or his dad didn't like the middle name and it was a an issue between them and one sacrificed and went with it but he underneath knew that there was a problem somebody didn't like it yeah. Or he could have just been bullied as a kid. I mean, there's so many reasons as to what impacts why we get, you know, af affected with our identity and the personality that we have associated with our name. Yeah. And I mean, it could have been yeah, a million different things. And who really ever knows, especially, you know, that since it's been how many years since that, since I found out what his middle name was, uh, I don't want to date myself, but it's it's been uh more more than a score, I guess. Uh <laughs> it's been a little bit. So you know, but yeah, we're we're still we still talking stuff. So I, I don't think I brought that up to him. I don't think I've brought that up to him. And I think it was like I found out that day that that was what it was, and then that was kind of the end of the story. It was this thing made up to just sort of sputter out. But sure. so so when you were 17, you said you got your your mom changed your name. 
or she changed she changed what you she called you said did she have you like like when when people would you know like have you be referred to as uh you said ethel mm -hmm. so you did she have other people or was it just like she would call you that in in among our immediate family in the household they called me ethel as far as outside of that no but in the immediate family for about a year um following that circumstance she called me ethel yes so how did the rest of your family pick up on that did they, did they just kind of go along with it or what yeah until I mean, what happened I so, 18. so i was raised let me give you a little history i was raised in a religious uh organization that didn't have a name um the hardcore facts are really a cult we were a flavor of every religion out there but they believed they had the truth and everybody else out there didn't my mom was born and raised into that my dad married into it um in that religious group they don't believe in sex outside of marriage so anything that would happen prior to being married they believe you had a choice over so even though i was raped they believe i had a choice to prevent that i could have done something to stop that um and so was the leader <clears throat> yeah it's just it? it's on top of they have my dad wanted to be a minister in in the religious group and in order to lead people you had to show that you could lead your family and your family had to be perfect which means you know no outrageous sins sex outside of marriage is an outrageous sin and disqualifies a man from being a leader in the in the church so they took all this personal they took it as a reflection on them they took it as if i was uh, a very bad daughter um and not being raised in the beliefs that you know they were instilling into me so part of that my parents took the religious foundation and made it a hundred times more than it was and when i say that they gave me a seven-year sentence so they had a list of things i had to prove myself for seven years that i was repented and sorry for this sexual misconduct and so part of that was the first year they had a lot more stringent rules on me that they let up a little bit as time went on um, I did a TED talk January 2019 called The Art of Authenticity, How to Show the Real You. And I share a lot of my story. We don't have to go through all that today, or we can share part of it here, whatever you want. But yeah, if you've already shared it, I can refer people to the TED yeah, talk. There's just, there's just a lot of things that they put in as disciplinary action. And so Ethel was one of those things among a long list of things that they did to change my identity and try to break me as a person. And how did it i mean did it break you uh, i mean if you were there until you were 24 you, at least when, I, so when... I, I i was i was raped at 17 i left when i was 23 and a half years into my seven-year sentence i left and moved from california to texas um so that's partly why i don't have a relationship with my family because they don't fulfill they don't believe i fulfilled the sentence that i was supposed to fulfill and to prove myself so um, did it break me? Yes and no. I mean, there's aspects where my life dramatically changed and there was big turning points, but it's also the painful experiences that I went through and the courage to continue to get up every day and fight um, to live and to find the truth despite how I was being treated created core characteristics of me of who I am today and the strength and determination and grit that I have. 
So yeah, on one hand, it broke me. There were things that were completely utterly destroyed and things that, you know, if they were important to you being in your parents' will, uh, still being considered firstborn, they've made me lastborn for life. There's a lot of things like that that they have chosen. But as far as, does it matter? No, <laughs> not really. I'm still, yeah. you biologically cannot change the fact that I am firstborn. I was born right. first and my birthday is before all of my siblings. So, you know, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. So are you in school then or was this? Uh, no, was I, I graduated there? high school at 15. So in the religion, yeah. women aren't supposed to work. They're just going to get married and have kids. I was really, really sick in my teenage years. So my parents had me take, um, in California, they have a test called California High School Proficiency Exam, which is equivalent to a GD. It's just you're either in your second semester of your sophomore year or you're 16. And I was in my second semester of my sophomore year scholastically. And so I took that test. It's simply a pass or fail. And I got done with school. So um, I wasn't in school at 17 when this happened. So... Okay. So, okay. And then, so did you, and did you have kids? No, I'm 46 no. now. Um, single, never been married, uh, no kids. Um, <clears throat> I've actually had a complete hysterectomy in 2012 because of some health issues. I had endometriosis and had surgery three times, was looking at the fourth surgery and just felt like I was not making headway and just wanted to be done with all the symptoms and pain and the nonstop bleeding that I went through for, you know, sure. 10 months or 10 months or more in, in one fell swoop. So, <clears throat> um, I didn't begin dating until I was 37, um, largely because of the upbringing situation with my parents and then being raped. I had a lot of fear of men that I had to work through. Um, so I didn't How begin you? dating until later in life, but, um, yeah. How have you been no working kids. through it? Well, initially in 2014, I worked with um, a coach that really challenged me on a lot of my fears and my beliefs of men and challenged me to get online and do online dating and just make the experience fun. Um, a lot of that was breaking down beliefs and culturally how I was taught to date. So for instance, I was raised a, a man and a woman were never in each other's presence without another person. So going out on a date with somebody, meeting them in public at Starbucks or whatever, and not feeling I had to have a chaperone with me, you know, there's a lot of little things that got me to that point, but, um, <clears throat> fate, go, going head on to my fear, not running away from it, being able to face it and then work with the feelings and emotions and thoughts and beliefs that come up from that and challenge myself to look at it with a different perspective. It's how I have done everything in my life up until now is to actually not run from it but to go through it what about with your family uh and when i left um tech uh, california and moved to texas september 1997 uh, I, I did keep in touch with my family for about three months but the criticism condemnation for my choices uh, trying to control me even remotely far away um, and then just shame me for not having lived out my seven-year sentence i ended up cutting off all communication with my family um, I periodically might hear from my siblings, but when I say periodically, it's like every two or three years, like it's nothing regular. Um, I'm not in communication with my mom. My dad passed away in 2013. Um, <clears throat> so no relationship with my immediate family. Have you gotten to kind of 
tackle what has happened with you know either yeah like a, a coach or counselor or, oh, you yeah. know, or stuff like that yeah. with you with what happened with your family yeah and how so, like been able to forgive them or anything or kind yeah, of yeah so 2013 to... I began um working with a counselor um that was my first time because the church group that again that I was born and raised into they believed that you um didn't seek outside help of people who were non-religious and that you needed to ultimately pray to God and he would solve all your problems. Um, I had a, I'm been self-employed since 2004 and I had a client who hit me in the head, the back of my head with his hand twice right in a row. And it really shook me up and disturbed me and caused a lot of nightmares and emotional trauma because it took me back to my childhood of the abuse from my mom. Sure. And so that's actually what prompted me to, to get help because for six weeks I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I was so emotionally distraught from this experience. Um, and then I decided, you know what, screw anybody and everybody that says I shouldn't see a counselor. I am. And I, so I began in 2013 working with a counselor. Um, we did 17 sessions in which she had me verbally share and write out my complete story and everything. Um, which was an amazing experience to share it verbally and to write it to her and compare the two, what I said and what I wrote and, and all the emotions that came up. Um, and then in 2014, I worked with a coach in Utah and their program was called Live Big, which is similar to Landmark or a Tony Robbins program. It's an all immersive three-day experience. And through that is when I grew more and learned and put into perspective my parents and their belief. And the coach had me understand that they were giving me a gift. It didn't feel like a gift, but they gave me a gift. And I could choose whether that gift was something I held on to or I let go. And so understanding that these were their beliefs and the paradigm that they lived their life and I didn't have to own that, that was their perspective, was transformational. and. Um, realizing the more work that I've done on myself in all likelihood, my mother was probably abused in her childhood, very much probably sexually, even though I can't prove it, um, because of the fear that she had of leaving me and my sister alone with my dad, which nothing ever happened, but she had this just paranoia that he would molest us. And so the more work that I've done on myself, I realized all that energy that she had, all those beliefs that she had, all that paranoia and all the rules she created around all of it, was because of her own fears and insecurities. Right. And so I, I have been talking about this a number of times on, on this show recently. Um, so what I thought happened when someone experiences some sort of trauma or whatever it may be, like you said, like you, you think your your mother got molested as a, you know, um, at some point that it stores in your your RNA and I thought it was like for two generations like your kids and your kids kids would like have this you know like they they would have that fear and not really know why but I found out that it's around 25 generations in your RNA um that it sticks through and that was kind of like I, I mean it could be some something much further back um but then yeah just you know and then being able to work through it and and be able to to break that cycle um 
genetically break your, the cycle yeah is, well, is unreal I, it that. is and i you know i i didn't learn a lot so my transformational journey began at the age 37 so i've only nine years into that and when i say it began that's when i left the cult that i was born and raised into that's when i my whole life changed wore pants for the first time cut my hair for the first time started dating like a whole lot of things changed and learning all about how the body keeps the score and how our DNA is constructed and how we can change our own DNA, um, whether you follow Dr. Joe Dispenza's work or anybody else. Um, there's a lot of great people out there with some great concepts and learning about the impact of trauma. I particularly am a fan of uh, Gabor Mate's work and the wisdom of trauma and his books, uh, When the Body Says No and The Myth of Normal and a few other books that he has. Um, these things I find fascinating. And so when you're talking about being, in, you know, in your generational history for 25 uh, generations, that's a lot. And I, I can see how that's possible. Yeah, I mean, that's, I, I don't know, some maybe five, 600 years, something like that. I've somewhere in there, maybe. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a lot of, a lot of stuff for something that could have been work through yes you know like before you had kids and mm -hmm. but it's so easy going back and saying that now i don't know what the you know people thought the you know our our parents generation if that was something that was even anywhere on their radar that you know working through something before having kids could you know no i mean especially everything depending on how you were raised, like I was raised the you know, the importance was to get married and have kids. There was so much stress and pressure put on that, like to find a good husband, find a good wife, get married, have kids, you know, um, biblically speaking, they were, that was the highest importance was to, you know, get married and have kids. Um, I think very little was done to understand our own beings prior to even getting in a relationship. Um, and after the work I've done, I am not surprised I was raped at 17. If I've been raised in a culture where I'm afraid of my own dad, can you imagine the energy I was putting off? And the, the he picked up on that. Like he knew, like it's, it, it, to me, it's fascinating now. Um, and of course, now nine years into that um, work, sometimes I could if you would laugh at myself that I had a fear of men, right? <laughs> but that's where I was. I mean, that's how that's how deep it became intrinsic in me that I couldn't even be myself and was always afraid of you know turning a man on or um, being in a situation that would lead to something inappropriate because we were alone in a room together or whatever. Like there was just so much intrinsic fear. And when you live from that kind of fear, you never feel safe, which feeds into a hypervigilance of your parasympathetic nervous system. And so understanding how that plays into health issues and everything else, like it's all connected. And I find it now very fascinating. And so, I mean, yeah, with, with you saying him picking up on it, um, I mean, yeah, it's probably something that, I mean, people prey on, you know, certain things and, you know, there's, there's for sure uh, something there. And um, yeah, it seems that way kind of, I don't know. And I, I don't know what, what the, 
best route is to be able to get rid of that, you know, kind of, I don't know. It's hard to to know it, like to be able to, I don't know how, what, what are the signs people can look for if they, you know, are someone that may be vulnerable to that or, you know, go, kind of going down that well, path would... where they're putting, and it's, it's kind of fucked up to say, you know, putting off yeah. that vibe, but it's, it's putting off it's... that vibe. I think some of it is learning. I had to learn, you know, religiously, I was taught not to have any fear. Fear was the devil attacking me, an enemy, um, instead of seeing fear as a gift. Um, and reading the book, The Gift of Fear, was one way that I learned how we have that intrinsic knowing and understanding when that knowing is guiding, leading and guiding me for a purpose or when I'm feeding a phantom fear that doesn't need to be there and so those are things I think you only learn by experience yes I think there's a portion of it that can be taught and trained but a lot of it is being able to tap into your own still small voice and understand okay I'm feeling something and I need to trust my intuition versus I'm giving into the fear of something that doesn't need to be fed when you understand fear and excitement are the same energy to the brain, the difference is how we receive it and interpret it. Why do some people consider, you know, having sex um, fun and exciting and their palms get sweaty, but that same feeling of sweaty palms, if they were to do a skydiving experience or a bungee jumping, now that's fear. It's not excitement. Why? The response to their body is the same. It's just how they interpret it. Is it the first time something that's supposed to be fun or is it supposed to be scary? So I think it's the same thing, understanding the fear of going on a first date. Is this nervous fear or am I really afraid of something and I need to be cautious with this person? This person is not a good person. I think those are things you learn through a learned experience. And so, I mean, do you think that people are still having that, like, because some I mean, like when when you there's fear or excitement, you, you know, it's adrenaline pumping. And at that point, your decision making is poor regardless. You can't take in any new ideas. Like they none they just bounce off of you and you can't learn anything new from it. And so I mean, that also kind of adds to that too like not you know everything's just sort of based on you know the fight or flight mode and um not really being able to step back and take a look objectively at what's going on and yeah and i think that's again another part of learning the experience when do i lean into what i feel i need to pull back from and when do i need to pull back what I feel I need to force and keep going through, right? So there's a right. balance of both. There's times when you get that fear and you pull back and you need to push forward. There's times you feel like you need to take action and push pull forward, push forward, and you really need to pull back and just rest and and be with the energy and the emotion and see what's coming up for you and experience it that way. I don't know that I would have the words right now to describe how you do that other than practice it. Um, and understand the difference in those feelings in your body energetically 
when you live in a very abusive environment like I was raised into and a religious culture that says your feelings are wrong, they're your old nature, they're not your new nature, they're not your ultimate identity, you push them away. Well, that pushing away only makes it harder than to process what comes up in real life. So right. for me, it was having to learn that my feelings aren't wrong. They're valid. However I feel is valid. Now, what do I really want to feel? What do I want to cultivate? What do I want to enhance? What do I want to feel more of? And spend time putting my energy and focus into that. But to say that it's wrong for a child to have fear of a man, I wouldn't go that far. There's, there's times that it's appropriate to have a feeling I need to back off. I need to pull away. This is not safe for me. There's also a feeling of, learning that the, there's not monsters under your bed, you know, <laughs> yeah. you don't need to be scared of the dark, right? So learning when to do that and, and when to trust a stranger coming into your house versus not trust a stranger coming into your house. And so um, that book that I referred to a little bit ago, The Gift of Fear was one of the things that I helped me understand tuning into my body and listening um, and not being afraid of its message for me. So where this puts you with religion? I still um, have a faith and a belief in God, but not the way I was raised. Um, I was raised with a lot of rules and fear that I was doing God's will for my life and that I was a Christian, that I was saved and all this stuff. And uh, I have a much broader view of my faith now. I consider myself a spiritual person. I don't even call myself a Christian anymore, which to some of my circle, um, that statement would be shocking um, because I believe we all are one. And if you believe whatever you believe about the, the Bible or any of those stories, I don't believe that I have to fight an enemy, a devil. Um, I believe the war is within me. I feed a God or I feed a devil, whichever one I want to have in my experience. And I believe that everything around me is meant for my good. That means the good and the bad. Um, and can't have the good without the bad, can't have the good without the bad. And, you know, religion's philosophy is we're here on life to endure and suffer and prove and get a crown of jewels and go to heaven and walk on streets of gold and live happily ever after. <laughs> I just, right. I, I just don't buy into that philosophy anymore. Um, some of the things I probably could say to you here today on this podcast, I wouldn't even have believed two years ago. So who knows what I'll believe in another two years, but I believe our reality, we can create heaven or hell here. I don't even know if there really exists a heaven and hell, because if you really believe that God died on the cross and everything's been paid for and it's finished, then what are you fighting for? There's nothing to fight for. It's already been won. You just got to claim it. And people are like, well, no, you have to be saved. If you're not saved, then you're not one of God's children. No, everybody, it's just like me. My parents can disown me. They can call me Ethel. They can say I'm not firstborn, but that's still my biological birthright. It's still right. who my identity is. Nothing I do will ever change that. I was born first. That was my legal name on my birth certificate. It's never been changed. Even if it was changed, it doesn't change what my legal name was at the beginning. You can't overwrite that. So I feel the same thing with God. There's nothing you can do to separate yourself from God. You can choose to be the prodigal son and go sleep with pigs and wallow in their mess, or you can choose to be Jonah and be in the belly of a whale for three days or whatever, whether these were real life incidents that happened or they were stories. I don't need to prove it. I know that that can be our reality and our experience today by how we choose to live. So, yeah. And 
I mean, the the part about the the self responsibility is, I mean, because that's that's kind of a hard one because there's is so much of it. Don't worry about it, you know. Put it's it's all God's will. Um, kind of like whatever you do is not going to really. So then, why like you're saying, what's the, what's the point of trying to do good? Well, um, the religion wants to say that God created a perfect world and that man screwed it up in Genesis one when Adam and Eve ate of the tree. But God said that the tree was knowledge good and evil and he wanted us to eat of it so we would be like god and we would know good and evil so in my book that was exactly god's plan religion likes to we're in a fallen world we're broken we're all this like shame and it's all adam's fault you really think one person screwed up the entire humanity for the rest of lives i don't believe that rusty like i was raised that way i now don't believe it. i believe that yes we have a choice adam didn't have to choose to eat of the tree he chose to but he was doing, I think, exactly God's plan. God wanted us to be just like him and be able to know good and evil. But religion has a struggle with that because God's supposed to reign supreme and we can't be anything like God. But yet he says we will go and do greater things than he did. And they can't accept that verse either. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, there's not, a, I don't know how how many, you know, how much is actually read full book but um it's i don't know it's it's odd it's an odd odd place and like i really think there's so much to being able to be accountable for ourselves and i think that's something that's kind of being pushed away in our culture now too and i um I'm not positive why. I assume it's to kind of keep us kind of miserable and maybe hooked on pharmaceuticals or something, but there's so much to being able to take a personal accountability and work through our own stuff. Because once you work through it, you've worked through it. It's not something that's going to be looming over your head and expect everyone to tiptoe around you. Um, when it's something that can be worked on and it's it took me a long time to get to that point too like there's there's shit i had to work on and i had to go and work through and i mean i'm glad i did i'm glad yeah. i did and i i don't know how like it's hard to tell someone to say go do it um i don't know i don't know how how i would go about telling someone to go do it i i i mean if somebody inquires, you can share your experience, but I think there has to be a thirst and a desire within for change, for something different, for a seeking of truth. Like nothing is going to be hidden from you that you want to find. It will be disclosed to you. You will find it. And I think in response to what you said, I think there's two, my opinion, there's two thoughts to this. One is a culture, we fight pain. We fight, you know, anytime there's pain, we want to take medicine, we want to take a pill, we want a, a quick fix, we don't want to sit and wallow in our pain and let it do its work. There's a reason we have a fever, it's to alert us that there's an infection, but that doesn't mean now just go, you know, cover up the infection so it's gone, like 
there's a reason there's an infection and it needs help to be relieved from the body. And so I think the same thing with religion, they have made us codependent on God. We can't do anything without making sure it's God's will for our lives instead of being secure in ourselves to realize God is in us and he will lead and guide us through our own still small voice and our will and our choice. But he gives us a choice. We will reap what we sow no matter what we choose. Right. And I mean, yeah, or or blaming God that this this bad stuff is happening because, you know, that's God taking it out on me or something. Um, and that goes a long way, too. I mean, that's something that's said a lot. And but then, it, you know, it takes away from that personal responsibility. And um, I think there's. I yeah. I think from the way I was raised, you know, uh, Genesis 1 says God created everything and it was good. When you think, what is everything? That even includes tornadoes and hurricanes and lightning strikes and earthquakes and all. He said all of it was good. He didn't say just the sun and the moon and the stars and the animals he put on there. Everything he created was good. And right. people like to say, oh, well, God is good. God is good when you're spared from a car wreck. But what about when you're not? Is God still not good? Why do we only use these phrases and reinforce it when it aligns to what we think is a perfect world, right? Because I think that's the way a lot of uh, conversations are steered or, um, you know, agendas or, you know, whatever whatever someone wants to put out as as their truth that they want to get out to somebody that, it's real easy to pass over a lot of other stuff and just say, Hey, look at all this, this good stuff over here. Don't, you know, the wizard of Oz, don't, don't, don't worry about the man behind the curtain. Um, I, but I think to, to your point, yeah. Rusty, I think that's why it carries over to people are so stuck in their pain. They don't see, they have a choice. They don't see that they have the power within. And so whether it's pharmaceuticals or whether it's, a crutch on God, they don't see inside the accountability that you're saying that they have for their choices and their actions. It doesn't mean that I still don't believe in a universal power outside of myself. Okay. For sure. But that power, I, I am not waiting for that power to move me like a puppet and to yeah. make my life better. I can choose something today. Is it completely always a hundred percent in my control? I don't believe it always is, but it's in my control how I respond to it. And it's in my control if I turn my pain into my power. There's times I'll get stuck. I'm currently dealing with Lyme disease. I struggle every morning, gagging when I'm taking my medications, how it hits my stomach, all these kinds of things. There's times I can be stuck in that pain and fighting it. I don't want this. I want it to go away. Like, why can't it get better? Why do I have to be dealing with this? Haven't I dealt with enough shit in life? What more do I have to go through, God? Like, I have those feelings. I have those statements. I have my dark days and dark moments. But instead of being upset at myself for them, I embrace it. It's just like a storm that blows through where I live in a massive tornado or hurricane or rainstorm or lightning storm or whatever. It comes and it goes. And when I realize I'm going to have days like that that come and go, in the end, if I stay with it, it will make me stronger. It will feed other parts of my life. The rain, we need the rain for it to feed nature so same thing right. with my life i need these storms so that i become strong and i can carry forth the whatever god's plan is for my life which i also comes from my own desires for my life 
it's 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 bi-directional to me it's 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 like hand in glove you know like it takes both yeah and it's real easy just to let it go all this you know the all this stuff's happening to me uh why me why me why me and yeah and it's real easy to get that too because then you can go and get those those quick little bits of serotonin from people saying oh okay yeah 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 go you know it's pad you on the head and um i mean yeah when, when i got when i busted myself up i mean i i thought that and it lasted maybe a month and it, it was yeah then i just was like okay i'm not nothing's getting better and i'm just i'm like well this is what this is what life is now and it's like but it's and you know this was six years ago and in the six years like i've been able to grow a bunch and not have to like that's barely even a worry anymore and um you kind of yeah you kind of need that you kind of need that bit to be you know and i mean eventually the you know, anything built, like you look at uh, anywhere that has had the Olympics in the last 50 years, go to any of those places and, and tell me what the places look like now. I mean, uh, Mother Nature took them all back over and it's, it's just stuff's going to go back and it's just it's part of part of the cycle. You, yeah. just, you just go, you go along for the ride. And, and I think there's like some of that that we don't really give enough credit for, you know, like we get upset when fires come through and destroy Mother Nature, and yet God designed it, the fires need to happen so that the seeds will replenish the earth like it's supposed to. And so even in our own life, for all the destruction, that is how rebirth happens. Without, right. without things being destroyed and recreated, that's part of the process of death and rebirth. And it happens over and over and over and over. But we think it's just birth and then we die and that's it. And, you know, if I was a parent, I don't know how I would teach my child these kinds of things, Rusty, but I would do my darndest to instill these kinds of beliefs um, and more understanding of their own emotions and not, you know, suck it up, put your big girl panties on, um, life's just unfair, deal with it. Like all these dismissive things that don't give you the tools that when you're in your teenage years or your college years or your young adult or midlife crisis years of right. dealing with life because you weren't ever given a foundation that allowed you to understand that it's going to be, I use the example in my coaching with clients a lot of times, a battery has a negative and a positive and it takes both to create energy. And that's how I look at our human beings the same. We need the negative to, experiences to produce that positive charge to counteract it, to give us energy. It takes both. If you only sit in the positive, you're going to become lazy. You're going to become yeah. complacent. If you have some of the negative, it's a shot. It gets you mowing, a kick in the ass, a punch in the gut. It make you wake up and go, oh, I don't like this. How am I going to change this? And that motivates you to go forward. We're not taught that. Yeah, and my my best moments have definitely had very close parallels to those very low moments, and 
there's a reason why. I mean, you gotta gotta have one, have the other, and you don't know what what really low is if you don't have those real big highs, and you don't know what really high is if you don't have those real low lows. Yeah. And so. And I think that we have turned all those kind of extremes into meaning that people are bipolar. You know, one day they're good and one day they're bad. And it's like, no, like your emotions were meant to have a cycle. Can you become bipolar? Sure. But I believe, you know, just from watching my siblings, particularly my brother who deals with that, it's a learned behavior. It's a learned behavior because you do not want to face life. So you retract and you play avoidance and you act like you can't deal with things because you're choosing not to and so then eventually you can't because you're not setting yourself up to a position where you can um do i believe other things can play into that sure all kinds of things can play into that but as as a superficial just discussion it's normal for people to have depression and get depressed that's anger being turned inward they're frustrated at life and not accepting reality so is it wrong to be depressed? No, that's a sign that you're avoiding reality and you're angry yeah. and turning it inside. When you see that, you can shift the energy, you can shift the refocus and you'll come out of it. But do I think it's bad that you get depressed? No, it's a wake-up call. Any more yeah. than having and a stomach ache is a bad thing. It's a wake-up call your body didn't like something. Yeah, and like you were saying, you can either at that point, uh, you know, take, uh, what are the pink stuff, uh, the Pinks, Pepto-Bismol. Pepto-Bismol. You can take Pepto-Bismol, but then two months down the road, you're going to eat the same thing. Uh, whereas if you go and you let it just like you sit, you're not going to go back and you're not going to want to eat that again. You're going to learn learn your lesson. You're going to learn what's going on, what needs to be changed in the future, or else you end up right back in that that position. And yeah, like I said, yeah, I mean, I I went down that I I get and I needed that wake up call. I got I wasn't in depression and then but then I turned that around and that's how I got to become a hypnotist was because of that. And you know, it's yeah, you can choose how you want to be, choose how you like the the more you can better yourself, the I mean the better your life's gonna be. The more you oh, can I- learn about yourself and better yourself yeah i i say it's the power of choice and and that goes back to what you're saying about our own accountability and responsibility we get to choose we're not little puppets that god's just commanding this or that we get to choose and that doesn't mean circumstances don't get put in our deck of cards that we have to play that we didn't want in our deck of cards but that's part of life like you take everything you take the good and the bad and you turn it into something useful and that's what I call turning our pain into power. Um, you can make it negative energy or you can make it positive energy. It's up to you how you use it. And so, uh, you know, when people want to, you know, make that energy turn something positive and they want to they reach out to Misty W. Gilbert or they want to see your work, how are they going to do that? Well, they can reach out to me through any social media platform. I'm under the handle Misty W. Gilbert. My website is Misty W. Gilbert. If you forget the W, you'll still get me because I own that website too. So it redirects. But um, I also do uh, a 
what I call a sharing each other's lives call. So if somebody were to listen to this podcast and just kind of want to talk or, or ask some questions that, you know, something came up for them, uh, it's a free call I do once a week with any one person. Um, I don't, I prefer it to be one person per year. Um, so I meet 52 new people. Um, but there's also a link, on, a Calendly link where you can actually schedule a coaching call with me and we can do a one-off coaching call or you can do a package and we can work through something in your life. Um, there's four pillars I feel that drive most of us and it's either fear, shame, guilt, or regret until we learn how to address those areas of pain and, and work past them. So my whole perspective is to create the life that you want live intentionally, turn your pain into power and be the transformation, be the change that you want to see in the world. And I share my journey on social media very openly. There's no topic that's off the table um, because I, I believe we have created a culture where we follow gurus that don't live and breathe and be everything in the moment that they're going through. They will five years from now when they have something they can teach you and make money off of it. They'll share with you, I went through this experience five years ago, depression, and this is how I turned it around. But what if we shared in the moment and showed people it's okay to be human and have pain and grief and still be living life and still loving God and still, you know, but in the midst of your pain and your struggle and your trials and your difficulties and your problems and your issues, like not running from it. And yeah. I feel like we need more leaders that will lead by example and create that safe space for everybody to understand you can have pain and you can have joy. You can have wonderful experiences and you can have life-threatening, discouraging situations. You can have um, win the lotto or you can have lawsuits. Like this happens together and we need to create more of a safety and a culture that believes that and lives it, breathes it, be it on every level. So for a personal level, that's my mission. Uh, I want to lead by example in those areas. I like it. Well, hey, uh, Misty W. Gilbert, I'll make sure I get that whole part in there. Um, <laughs> thank you for being on here. And uh, yeah, just go along with it. Not knowing where we're going to go with the conversation. Just go and I'm happy we got to where we got to. And um, yeah, we should uh, yeah, keep in touch. All right. Absolutely, Rusty. I enjoyed the time with you today. Me too. Take care. All right. All right. Thanks. Have an awesome right. day. Yep. You too. All right. Misty W. Gilbert. So yeah, check her out. Check her out. Check her out. Check, 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 check it out. What, 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 what's it all about? Gonna, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know how much I can say without having, there's a copyright or something um, when I put it on YouTube. Anyway, you guys, thanks for listening to the Public Access Podcast, the podcast here on the Quantum Global Broadcasting Network, QG. Caribbean. Check out other shows on the network like When the Gloves Come Off, The Thinking Man's Pro Wrestling Podcast, This Is It with Lizzie and Saved by the Ben. If you guys want, you guys know whatever I'm doing, go to rustydiamond.net and go there. I have all my shit there, probably. I don't know how up to date it is. But you can go there. You can find anything. Uh, I totally forgot about this part, you guys. You guys, call in and leave a message, all right? I'll play it. So here, leave a message, or maybe you don't like leaving messages, and you're like, oh. messages, messages. We don't leave no stinking messages. But I do. So 503-974-6420, do it, and I'll throw it up on the episode.
some episode. So, yes, thanks for listening. Like, share, subscribe. Pass it around. Uh, pass the, the ditchy on the left-hand side. On the left hand, pass the ditchy on the... I don't know, some on the on the left hand side, on the left hand side. Uh yeah, you know, you know how you guys do it. So you guys thanks so much for listening. Uh I'm Rusty Diamond, and that is the show. Man. Boom. It's Rusty Diamond, motherfucker. It's Rusty Diamond, motherfucker. Ernest! 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 <coughs> yes, Pee-wee. You brought the snacks, right?